Welcome back everyone. This is The 23 and I'm Chris Kirkby. Today's guest is Jack Ludlam. Jack works in B2B marketing, but where he is now isn't as important as where he's going. After experimenting with various side hustles, he's found his path in the form of his own clothing and lifestyle brand. Penthouse clothing is set to be inspiring, attractive and sustainable. Jack, welcome to The 23. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Look, really excited to get into this with you today, Jack. Um, notice from like, some of the messages we exchanged before you jump on the podcast. So you you lived in Perth for a short while. Is that right? I did. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm based in uh, down in Portsmouth on the, the sunny uh, south coast. But in 2018, I moved over to Perth in Australia for about what ended up to be about eight, nine months. Okay, so you've, you've been, you've, you've tasted a, a different culture in a different mm. country then. So how is it different for you? Um, I think in a weird way, it was um, everything that was not too different that made it feel um, homely enough to be home. But it, it was the, I think it was the people that were most different just in terms of the lifestyle, um, what was important to people there, how they lived their life. Um, even down to the sort of daily routine there, um, which was a big driver to get there in the first place. I was keen to avoid what had sort of felt like I'd slipped into the, um, you know, what I guess the rat race you'd call it, the, the standard dark commute in the morning, um, a desk for eight hours, an hour for lunch to get some air, and the same drive back, probably Netflix in the evening and repeat for five days a week and then, you know, worry about it for the next two. So, it was it was to sort of escape that and um, just try something different. I had a friend in in Perth that I'd met travelling about six years ago, um, and he he was a massive advocate of coming over to Perth and at least sort of trying it out and everything like that. Um, having heard my sort of um, frustrations that I'd expressed with um, living and working in England at the time, so uh, yeah, went over to there via Bali where I've got some relatives. And um, yeah, just sort of got on the hunt for work and and to to try it out really, try my hand at a different country, different lifestyle, different way of living, everything like that, and um, see where it took me. Okay, so clearly it it ticked a box for you, or maybe quite a few boxes. Do you think do you see yourself um, going going back or to somewhere similar in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's it's part of the, the personal sort of five-year plan is to get back there and, and get re-established in terms of uh, probably a, a more permanent visa this time. Um, I'll have my girlfriend with me this time. So when I went before, I was single, so it was very much um, easier and faster to plan and to go. But actually, at times, it was quite lonely and quite difficult to um, have the experiences I was having there, but not actually have anyone to share them with. Um, so like it's it's become a, a bigger and bigger topic of discussion with my girlfriend now because obviously this year it's i think we've always lived up to a point where you think oh well, this year's not great so you know let's do next year or whatever with the assumption that that is always going to be possible and i think the number one lesson for most people this year has been that you can't ever guarantee that the opportunity to do something is going to be there tomorrow or next month or next year so yeah. Um, as soon as the world opens up, I think that's the next move is to try and get back there. Okay. And um, I think for me, one of the things that like pressing question from, um, from my side of things is, mm. um, 
anybody who's obviously about to embark on a journey like yourself it's doing your own thing you know you have to like say you did some various side hustles but you 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 found you found something in in penthouse clothing you're thinking right i've got something here that i can really run with so talk to me about because you see everybody comes with the idea we all i think we've all done it just think of ideas wouldn't this be a great business wouldn't that be that oh i think it could really succeed in something like this yeah, yeah. but then people don't do anything about it and i'm not criticizing that procrastination is not it's not something i'm <laughs> unfamiliar with myself at times but it is important to act so what do you think you know how important do you think it is to just to get started like now when you've got a vision yeah, I, th- I think it's the it's the single biggest um, speed bump that you put in front of yourself is to just um, try and find that perfect idea or wait till the timing's perfect or wait till you feel like you've got the perfect amount of money to do it or the perfect person to help you. I think there comes a point where you just have to say to yourself that you're going to accept a bit of risk of not having that extra bit of money or that extra bit of time or that perfect idea, but that you're confident and enough in yourself and what you want to go and achieve that you're just going to start somewhere and be be comfortable with the idea that it is going to be need to something it's going to be something you need to build on uh, and it's not going to be perfect and the first 99 people might say no but that you back it enough that there will be a hundred that says yes and you have then got something to roll with um yeah no i think there's a you made a really important distinction i think there in terms of it's about getting started now, but you also were alluding to the importance of patience and being willing to, unwilling to, to, to build rather than go, right, I'm doing it now. And then three weeks later, well, why, why am I not a millionaire? Why am I not the next gym yeah. shark? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And, and um, it's definitely been a case of that with Penthouse, like from initially having the idea of just the name and what, what I wanted it to be, which at the time was just, um, I want to make like cool t-shirts it's it's been probably six maybe seven years but um there was times along there where i knew i definitely wasn't ready because i maybe didn't have the commercial awareness to know how a business is even structured or how to run it maybe the awareness of how to market a business how to recognize what was a good um product how to identify a market or a customer persona or any of those sorts of things um but i think probably the, the bigger excuse that i kept putting in front of myself was oh well if i don't know that then I, I better not do anything at all whereas actually it's like there comes a point where it's like well you might not know that but you can still do a load of other things and doing like doing those other things might then create as a byproduct the knowledge that you had missing in the first place so it's sort of a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. If you if you wait till everything's in place, it never will be. And if you accept that it's never going to be perfect, things will slot into place for you because you're you're actually taking action, and people are going to hear about it and help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's an interesting thing as well, like you say, you know, when you decide you're going to do something, you've got all when you're you you know you're dreaming about your vision and things. I would imagine that you've got all the time in the world to second guess yourself as well. Like you've just been saying, you know, I can't do this bit and I can't do that bit. So how, how important do you think is it to consider how, how frightening that actually is, you know, when you actually distill it and take it apart, you know, where, you know, is the fear as big as we, as we think, or do you think that there's a way that we can approach that to be 
more productive in the face of um you know like imposter syndrome and like say second guessing ourselves yeah exactly i think it's it's um you have to take it to a point with yourself where i think you 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 just apply the almost framework to just start at the end and say right okay well if every single one of my very worst fears about this was realized what would actually happen how much money would i lose who would i fall out with who you know wouldn't like me anymore who would never work with me again all that sort of stuff bring it back from there and say hey how likely is that to actually happen 99.9 percent of the time it's going to be nigh on impossible and b would it actually be terrible no probably not because if you work backwards you'll you'll see everything along the way as well that oh well i would if if that happens then it means i've actually achieved this along the way and i've learned this and i've done that so to just sort of um, skip ahead and work backwards from where in your head is, is the worst possible place for it to end up. Um, almost every time I do that, I, I come to the conclusion that, right, there isn't actually anything there to be frightened of. I'm not, I'm not actually worried about anything there. The, the fear that I've generated around the reasons I shouldn't start it or I shouldn't do this or shouldn't take that action, um, I've constructed myself. There isn't actually anything in my way that would stop me achieving what I need to because of anyone else apart from me. Yeah. And, you know, where, where do you, you know, if I was to say, look, I need you to describe to me, you know, what, what Penthouse is and what he wants to become, you know, how would you, how would you go about doing that? How do you, how do you feel about Penthouse? Um, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm in a place right now where I'm, I'm, comfortable with it and confident in it but it actually means more than just oh, i want to run a business because i want to make money um the, the money ultimately ultimately if it's successful is a byproduct of that business doing well but actually i've i think i've worked on it enough now that i've actually attached a meaning to it and a, and a purpose that is the is the why behind the business that people can get engaged with and, and support that journey as opposed to oh well what do you actually sell and how fast you deliver it and what's it packaged in and all that sort of stuff. Like the stuff that um, people have picked up on and said things to me and I just think, get a grip. Like what, why does it matter? Because you're so used to Amazon Prime. Why does it matter that a hoodie from me takes four days to come not to? It's not, it doesn't mean it's a bad hoodie. So it's the stuff like that. It's batting that away along the way. But um, to answer your question in terms of how I would um, sort of, wrap penthouse up into an explanation the the general sort of mantra behind the business set is that it's good for people and it's good for the planet so from the planet perspective the um the supply chain aspect is like it's sustainable as as it can be at the moment so the packaging is all plastic free and it's recycled and then the actual materials that make the clothes themselves are um recycled and organic materials so from that side like that's um, I try not to even use that as a selling point to be fair because I think moving forward that just needs to be a, a base level for, for those sorts of businesses that they are planet conscious um, and the the good for people aspect is is the actual messaging behind the brand and the sort of why that I refer to in terms of why the audience would want to engage with the brand because um, what I'm trying to achieve with the, the content and the messaging around the brand is that um, it's basically for people that want to improve, to put it sort of broadly. Um, I'm, I'm trying to use three sort of channels for that. So people that are trying to improve 
um, physically in the gym or running or um, exercising in any way, shape and form, um, academically or educationally. So people that are studying, people that are learning, taking on a new skill, trying to upskill, develop a new skill, move into a new industry, whatever that is. Um, and then also travel is that third one, because I think that's a huge part of self-improvement is to move out of your comfort zone um, physically as much as psychologically, um, experience new cultures, languages, foods, um, types of people, types of places. Um, I, I think that's traveling is the biggest way to do that, but also the most rewarding way to do that in terms of what you see and who you meet and what you find out about yourself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's trying to wrap that all up into a product that says good for the good for the planet and good for people and, and that people buy into that and are on board with it. Okay. And I, I'm just thinking, you know, and I follow various entrepreneurs and, and I've, you know, I've read, I've read books and a guy that <clears throat> struck me, um, you know, one as, as a, a standout in many respects for many reasons, some, some of which that people like and some people dislike, uh, but his intensity is what stands out the most for me, Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I think that no matter what you like or dislike about him, there's got to be something you can take from that guy because you know there's, there's something something special about him. And I, it got me questioning the concept of the time we take to dedicate to to anything, not just you know not to, in, within our lives how we allocate our time. And it got me wondering about the value of where you put your time over focusing on what money you can make yeah, and I just, what do you think jack when it comes to that kind of that kind of area like tie the time these these money piece yeah i'm i'm a massive advocate for um time over money always um and i'm a firm believer that it's it will always always be a more valuable investment than any sort of monetary investment um one because it's irrevocable you once you spend it you're never getting it back whereas money obviously by nature is is fluid like water it comes in it goes but it's always going to be around to to get to get more of um and i just think that if you if you had the opportunity to ask people that had, had died i don't think any of them would say that they were more focused on how they'd spent their money in their life than their time I think that's always the thing you hear about when people are old, isn't it? Oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd gone here. It's never, I'm so glad I bought that car. I'm so glad I went on that holiday or I bought this or I spent that or didn't spend that. Um, and it, it was always a sort of a, a firm belief, but a lot of things have reaffirmed it over the years. Like, for example, I had a um, uh, an uncle. My dad's brother was 66, I think, when he retired. Um and he'd done all these amazing things like all sorts of um sort of social enterprise and stuff and he was involved with a university in cuba and did all these amazing things for people all around, all around the world um but retired at 65 and died of pancreatic cancer within about three weeks so it's like even though he had an incredible life and, and had left an unbelievable legacy like in and beyond our family the, the idea of working for anywhere up to 50 60 years to do what you want to do for the next 
11, 20 maybe, if you're lucky. I just, I just don't really, I don't really get that. that. Like that, for me, amplifies a million times over the importance of spending your time wisely now, not assuming that you're just going to have a big chunk of it at the end to do what you want with. Like, um, you've got the time now. Everyone has the time now. Not everyone has the money now, but you can still spend your time wisely. It doesn't need to be tied into how much money you've got and what you can go and do with that, I think. No, I completely see where you're coming from. Um, and like I say, I was questioning that, so it's really interesting to, to see how other people uh, mm. view it as well. Um, I One thing that I'm, I've been talking about with various, my guests, various guests that I've had and it's not always on the podcast. Sometimes we, we have got some conversations either before or after. But yeah. a theme that I'm picking up, especially with people um, that want to build something of their own, they all seem to be kind of knocking at the door of a very similar theme in terms of the way that they've learned through life, the most important lessons that they've ever learned. And not a single one of them have said, I remember at school when such and such who was teaching me geography or history or nobody goes there nobody talks about what they learn at school and that's not me um trying to undermine the role of a teacher because there's some great teachers out there i had one or two absolute standout teachers they were brilliant however they were they were in the minority i will say that so what do you if i say if i ask that question to you if i say you know who taught you or what were the most important lessons you learned and who who did they come courtesy of or what did they come courtesy of what would your response be um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the exact same page as you there, but I have got to be careful because both my parents are teachers, so <laughs> can't can't flag off schools too much. But um, go on, yeah, go on. You know, but, um, give them yeah, a rinse. Give them a rinse in. They'll be fine with it. They might not even listen. They're fine. They're not listening. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, th- I I think it's the sometimes not even. I, I know the teachers as individuals make a huge difference. But I also think it's the curriculum itself is just like suited to a day and age where um it's just long gone like i don't i just don't think much of what's in that curriculum these days is what you leave um school or college or uni with needing to to do well in life i think it's actually um to sort of phrase how you phrase the question in terms of where those learnings have come from i think these days they come from experiences they don't come from textbooks um and i think it's those experiences uh, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, um, sometimes physically, that that we need to be prepared for as young adults that are actually going to equip us to lead happier, healthier lives when we're older. So, um, for example, we might leave, leave school knowing how to find an angle in a triangle and, I don't know, point out 70 different countries on the map, but do you know how to sell? Do you know how to manage taxes? Do you know how to get a mortgage? Do you know how to manage relationships with other people? Like, as a man, do you know how to treat a woman? And as a woman, do you know how to treat a man and expected to be treated by a man? It's it's those sort of things that I think, unless you have what you've called like a standout teacher that goes above and beyond what's on the whiteboard and in the book, um, I think the, the most valuable lessons in life, um, you sometimes have to, find for yourself and learn for yourself or from those around you and 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 sadly i think sometimes that comes off the back of um 
a, a tragedy or negativity that's that's taught you a lesson the hard way, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely room for like the the educational slice of the world to be doing more to um, just give people up for the reality of life without it feeling like unless you're like an absolute academic powerhouse you're not ready for life after school because I just don't think that's that's true at all yeah I think from you know from just my just my opinion I think that you know people are blessed with the um the ability to retain information really well from like say revision if you take that as an activity yeah they're the type of people that regardless of what their ability would be like in the the wider world they will succeed in exams nine times out of ten because it's literally that's their function i can retain information and i can process it and then i can articulate it onto an exam form or you know free form uh, writing format or something like that but if you like you say when you get into the wider world when the challenges become so 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 various and so completely brand new to you because nobody's ever even indicated that by the way this is going to be a thing that you'll have to deal with that's when the you know the the real adaptation comes and if you haven't got that that in you to adapt you're in for you're in for a rough ride and potentially some some pretty shitty mental health because you yeah, might yeah. not know like what is this world i don't understand this, this is not what it looked like um yeah yeah but while we're on actually health you mentioned earlier living happier and healthy lives yes so, interesting uh, point that um that we made off, uh, off air and and it really got my attention something you said and uh we talk about immune systems for a second and you said yeah, yeah, yeah. using negativity to boost your immune system now i think you know say that say that out loud and you're like excuse me what yeah. Um, yeah however there's definitely a justification for it so you know i'd love to hear love to hear your thought on it yeah of course yeah um so what i mean by that is that in my opinion to um sort of control as best you can the dosage of of negativity from from others around you that you're exposed to you can actually make yourself more healthy mentally i think because um in the same way that you sort of expose yourself to um an illness for example with a jab or just you know in general life you're exposed to all sorts of germs and whatever that actually serves to boost boost your immune system i think if you're if you're too clean, so to speak, and you're too um, wrapped up and, and sheltered away from the reality of the world, which is sometimes horrible people doing horrible things that make you feel horrible things, um, they're going to hit you harder because you're not you're not used to them. You don't have any sort of mental immunity, so to speak. So um, I think, as I say, as a sort of controlled dosage of those sorts of comments and that sort of thing it actually serves you better in the long run so for example like i think again what we just referred to sometimes learning lessons um the hard way i think over the period of my life i've that's been one to me is negativity that i grew up around such a um loving family and loving extended family and, and loving friends and everyone got on so well and like everyone liked me in my football team and everyone liked me um you know whatever sort of clubs and sports are in and stuff like that that when it got time to um sort of growing into an adult and and leaving those sort of seed groups of friends that you have as a young person and you're moving into different social circles and 
um, growing up and maybe getting treated more as an adult. Um, the first times, the first couple of times that I don't know someone in a new football team gives you a load of shit for no reason, or someone in your uni says something horrible to you, or says something about your work, or a lecturer has given you shit about something that you've tried really hard on, or someone says it's you've got a shit idea, or blah blah blah. If if you've grown up believing that everyone in the world is nice and nice to each other all of the time. When someone isn't, it's it's like a gut punch. You're like, God yeah, like what did I do to you? It's it, and it's horrible. It really knocks you back. Um, so it's 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 a tough balance because it's equally you don't want to bring up you know children and young families, exposing them to horrible things like voluntarily. But equally, I think it's important that um, you are exposed to to negativity in the, your life and you don't take it as a as a negative thing you take it something to build on um as recently as you know the last sort of week with with penthouse as i referred to earlier like people have made comments about the speed of the delivery or like the, the packaging that the clothing comes in and you just think well i know i know my product's good and i know the service is fine like if you're expectations are misaligned because you use Amazon Prime for everything else or you're expecting it to come in like a Rolex box like that's that's not my problem that's that's on you and I'm not gonna feel defeated by what you said about me or something that I've created when it's actually not a fair representation at all um so it's, it's it is a tricky one but I, I I do think negativity can actually be a positive thing if you, if you frame it like that yeah, I think um, you think that I just articulated one of those a lovely contradiction to to a bit of a myth. The customer is not always right because no, <laughs> because no. that with like saying a person is always right because we're just not we get things wrong. Um, yeah. But one thing I you, you can that that thing about using negativity and it's brought but the thing in my mind maybe an example that I don't know if you feel like it, it applies you know the whole um a trophy for taking part kind of culture where everybody gets one but the yeah. thing is it's not while they i love the idea of the inclusivity and showing people that the value that's fantastic but you know in life you you fail you or you if you want to make it even more simple you win and you lose and yeah. you need to be prepared to lose sometimes because you know when you've lost or when you've failed or depending on how you phrase it, some people don't even call it failure, learning experience. However, but either either way, you need that. You need to have experienced that so that when though these these things happen in your life, that it becomes, I don't know, maybe a resilience builder. Or I know for myself, when when the chips are down, and it goes against me. I kind of double down and I go again. It might knock me off my balance for a little bit, but then I go again. But because I always knew what it was like to lose. I remember when I used to play game board games and things with my dad. He would cheat. <laughs> he would actually yeah. cheat to beat me. You know, that's how much he wanted to win. So I learned at a very young age, sometimes you lost and sometimes it really wasn't fair. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think that's, you know, where you, another area where you can use your, you know, your negativity to boost you as an example. Yeah, um, well, we're talking about failure then. What do you think, Jack? Do you, like, have you learned any... Any key lessons from from that type of thing, like from failing or from mistakes or however you'd like to categorise it? Because I know people have various spins on what failure is. Yeah. Um, and I think on that, I, I think 
previously, I, I would have categorized failure as almost like um, the, the final destination. That is, if, if you fail, you fail. Um, and it's, I think, something that over time I've learned to turn into a, um, as you say, like call it a learning point, or like I hear a lot of people will say, like, win, draw, or learn, as opposed to lose. So it's a, use it, use it for something. If you've failed or you've come second or you've, um, you know, however it is that you feel you failed something, transform that into something, turn it into something you can learn from for next time and, and build on it to win next time you go. Um, but I think in terms of lessons from failure, I think my biggest one is probably rather than a singular lesson is one that's probably been a habit that's like spanned my life. And, and that's to, um, to, to not have tried in the first place is is probably the worst possible thing you can do. Um, so I think the lesson I've taken from it is that the, the regret over having taken no action at all will always be worse than the regret have, of having tried to do something and got it wrong. Um, just because if you try something and get it wrong or you don't win or it doesn't quite come off or you upset someone, it, it's an absolute you can you can see what the problem is and you can most of the time see how to fix that um and, and then take it somewhere and build on it if you don't ever try and do something you don't have an absolute all you ever have then is a what if what if i've got it right what if i've got it wrong and an infinite possibilities of n not knowing where you could have gone right or could have gone wrong and you can't learn anything from that because you don't know what you're good at and what you're not good at. If you try something and get it wrong, um, you, you at least know where you stand um, normally, what's gone wrong. So uh, I think a lot of the times for me, that was probably born out of fear. So going as far back as like infant and junior school days, getting invited to sort of move up through the levels of uh, like a football academy, getting to the point where I was just so scared of how much bigger and louder and stronger the other boys were that I just didn't want to go anymore. I just stopped going. Um, and that's not to say that I'd be a premiership footballer because I was that good. I wasn't. I, I was good enough to be there, but I convinced myself that I wasn't because I was just scared of the other people that were there. Um, and I think that's that, that could go right through to um, setting up penthouse if I'd decided that I wasn't ready and there was always going to be a reason that I wasn't ready. Um, I'd probably spend the next 40, 50 years of my life working for someone else, bitter, blaming someone else because I hadn't set up Penthouse and it could have been an amazing business. Might have failed within a year, but I don't know. I had, that's that absolute that if Penthouse goes nowhere as a business, I'll probably know why. And I'll set up another one and I'll use that to, to make the next one better. But if I've never, if I've never set it up, I have no idea what I'm going to be like at running a business. So I'm always going to have days where I wonder about what could have gone right and days where I wonder about, oh, well, it probably wouldn't have worked anyway. But the, the point is I wouldn't have known. So that regret of inaction would still feel more painful to me than the regret of having tried it and got it wrong. Yeah, understood. And um, this is one of my favourite questions to ask people because it, the the answers are so they're so varied they can be something absolutely enormous or like you know these seemingly 
cataclysmic events in people's lives. So it can be something tiny and innocuous. So if there is a moment in your life, like a moment of realization, something that just literally flipped a switch in you and just changed everything for you, what would you say it was? Um, I think mine would definitely be one of the, the minute ones, to be honest. Um, it would be more of a sort of reality check that I gave myself that I think has just stuck with me since. Um, and that was about two, yeah, about two and a half years ago when I was in Bali. Um, so it was when I was on the way to Perth, so I was on my own. Um, and it was one of the first nights there where I was... Um, Going out for going out for dinner basically in Bali, and at the age of oh, I mean, twenty-seven, I've never actually been out for dinner on my own. I'd always been with at least one other person. So again, it doesn't sound like a big deal at all. And I, don't, I didn't really think about it at all until I was leaving, and I thought, oh my god, I've never been out for dinner on my own, and was just like flooded with with worry about what that would look like to other people in the restaurant and. Would I need to come up with an excuse if someone came and asked me why I was on my own and what people might think of me and blah, blah, blah. It, and like completely sort of overanalyzed it to the point where I was almost paralyzed in my, in my way out the, out the door. And um, like no sooner had I sat down, got a menu and ordered a drink, I just thought, oh my God, like no one gives a shit. Literally not even one single person has looked at me walk into the restaurant, watched me sit down, looked at me at the table or anything. I, I don't think one single person in that room wondered why I was there on my own or even cared, to be honest. Um, and whilst that in, its, in itself was, was like a tiny, tiny event and in itself wasn't even a massive milestone, like going out for dinner on your own at 27 isn't, isn't like a huge step. But I think it was the the switch that flipped in my head was that, God, I wonder how many other things I've done or stopped myself from doing based on what other people might think of it. Yeah. And, and like, where could I go in my life if I now spend the rest of it not worrying about what people think about it, if I do it or don't do it. Um, so it was, it, as I say, it was, a, it was a tiny thing, eating a cheeseburger in Bali on my own, but the, the, realization that came from that of what was possible for me psychologically more than anything if i didn't carry around this like baggage of other people's opinions all the time was was a massive one that stuck with me yeah you see like i say it can be these big things or can sometimes be seemingly small but Hmm. for me just like listening to it sounds like you had like a really um liberating experience off the back of something like you say maybe so simple but sometimes these things are a little bit bigger to to us inside aren't they they can be a big deal at the time but then yeah. like you say what it led to for you afterwards you know would penthouse even exist if you didn't sit down and eat that cheeseburger yeah exactly yeah um and it's 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 one that I've, it's a thought that i've stewed on more and more over time and sort of added to and i think i've got it to the point now where i see it as um, I'm almost trying to live with complete disregard for what people's opinions on what I'm doing or not doing is, but actually pay more attention sometimes to how what I'm doing or not doing might make someone feel 
and not to not to blur the lines between the two. So ha- having empathy for how something I do might make someone feel positively or negatively and, and being conscious of that, but completely blocking out how something I'm doing or not doing will make someone um, react or if someone is triggered by something I've done or said or, you know, not, that's fine. Like, go for it. Go, enjoy yourself. Like, that's, that's on you. But if I've upset someone because of something I've done, then that's, that's a trigger to take action and, and remedy that because that's the, that's the sort of flip side of the feelings versus opinions. Like, one's important to me and one's not, basically. Yeah, well, I like... I like that because it's the it's the blend between um, having empathy, but also knowing where accountability ends. Yeah, I think it's yeah, a yeah, yeah. very difficult balance to strike. So you know, mm-hmm. I, I, like it's really nice to to hear people contemplating these things um, because yeah. it's important. It really is important to something that you spoke about earlier, which is you know how we interact as people and what what we do. And how it impacts somebody else. So you know you yeah. need to be ready for the potential repercussions if you if you're taking risks. If you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and take responsibility for them. Yeah, absolutely. And what what would you? I mean, I think based on the conversation that we've had, I think I'm, I know where you might go with this, but um, we'll see. If you could transform anything in the world, what would you choose to to reinvent? Um. I think at this moment in time, it would be um, education. And I don't necessarily mean that purely from like an academic standpoint and what gets taught in schools and everything like that. Um, I think more so just the way that we as humans absorb information and and learn from it and learn from each other. I think um, in... England and the UK at the moment, we're like a, we're a textbook example of it. But I think the world in general, as a whole at the moment, is like a very polarised place. There isn't a lot of middle ground anymore. You're either vote leave or vote remain. You're either far left or far right. You're either um, Man United, Man City. But you know, whatever it is, there isn't um, really a, set, a centre ground anymore. And I think that that just makes people believe their own opinion so strongly that they just transform them into facts and so people are just fighting facts with facts all the time um when actually all you're doing is just throwing opinions at each other with an absolute refusal to believe the other person so i think like social media plays a massive part in that because a lot of the time social media just becomes like an echo chamber for our own opinions anyway and we just see more and more of it on our feeds and think well everyone else thinks this as well so it must be right it must be right it must be a fact um and i think that that all stems back to where we where we're getting it from in the first place like where we're learning from how we're educating ourselves and each other on what we think and why we think it importantly and why it's okay that you think something different but i'm just telling you why i think this maybe you can understand that and vice versa um i know i know it sounds like completely utopic but imagine if everyone just actually had a bit of tolerance for other people having different ideas i think we're at like a real shortage of that at the moment i think it's just um it's just so binary it's uh, do you agree with me no oh well you're wrong then that's that's it there's no 
no discussion, no to and fro. It's just black or white. So I think if I could change one thing in the world at the moment, it would be um, how and where we learn, I think, to sort of encourage a bit more tolerance between people. Yeah. And um, what do you think, like when you envision penthouses are running thriving business what do you think would be the most toxic thing that could affect your business culture Um, I think it would be if everyone working in the business thought the same thing Um, because I think if you've got every single person between four walls patting each other on the back and just com- completely pushing down one avenue all the time. You just shut the doors off to any other ideas and you just sort of, you, you polarise your yourself from the next alternative. So you're not, you're not seen as a brand that's open-minded and looking for better ways of doing things. You're just looking, you're just looked at as a brand that's, trying to smash down everyone else because you think the rest of the world's wrong and you're right and and you're on a noble crusade and everyone else is like, you know, an absolute bunch of idiots. So I think the most important thing that will define how well uh, Penthouse is viewed and, and the quality of um, products and services that Penthouse put out is the diversity of people that are in that business and the neurodiversity of those people to come up with and consider ideas that they might not have had themselves um so i think even though there's there's no one else in the business at the moment it's just me i I think that's even the main danger at the moment is that as a one-man band there's no one sanity checking my ideas and saying oh, well, what about this? Or, well, I don't think that really works because of this, or blah, blah, blah. So the danger is that I I take it to a point where it's already quite hard to pull it back from just being like one man's vision of the world, you know? Um, and I don't I don't think that's really ever ended well for anyone. So keen to try and avoid that. Yeah, no, fair enough. And it sounds like because you're aware, aware or should I say wary of that happening, it shouldn't, shouldn't um, fall into yeah, that. Yeah. Trap Jack, which is which is uh, which is going to be good for you. I mean, I've got to be honest. Like, like speaking to you, you know, it's exciting. I'm excited for you. And granted, you know, we've had limited contact before the podcast, and you know, we've only had this conversation. But it's exciting. Yeah. You know what you're about to create, where it could go. Um, and I, I really think that the the kind of clarity of the way you see things from right from. Um, expectations of of your business you know where you um, place the value in certain like bits of feedback that are unhelpful to you going forward and the way that you you know you endeavor to be the best brand you can be going forward and that way you, you yeah. know where you value that side of things I think it's it's really good to see that kind of clarity and it, it seems to me from experience of talking to different people that it's it's when people find that that path or that passion um that's got some purpose to back it up it's actually astounding yeah. the amount of clarity people think with you know of course they're going to be contradicting opinions out there but i think the most important thing 
that I'm learning from this conversation is, is just the amount of clarity that you can achieve with, you know, with, with, uh, with purpose and a, and, a, and a project you feel that you want to dedicate your, your time to, as we were, we were talking. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. And it, what's, um, so what's next for you in the next, so the next sort of next steps for Penthouse then, what do you think? In the in the short term, I should say, rather than the sort of the big the big long vision, like in the short term, what do you think the next thing is for you? Yeah, short, short term, I think the the big um, the big mission for Penthouse is to build an audience. Um, it, it's to go and find those people who have not necessarily identical but a similar vision of uh, what a clothing company should be and how it should operate and. Um, how it should work start to finish and um what should come out of that beyond just the actual like physical garments and stuff so i think it's a case of uh, a lot of marketing activity a lot of research um and yeah just ultimately finding that that crowd of people that say yeah we you know we agree um we might have different ways of of thinking we can get there or different different viewpoints on what that end state looks like but the actual the why the, the purpose of existing and the difference we want to make is similar enough that we can we can work together on doing that so i think if i can sort of um surround the brand with those sorts of advocates that have that kind of um similarity in terms of of purpose and, and direction i think that could be a massive accelerator for how widely known the brand is and how successful it's its message lands yeah okay well look jack thank you so much for your time today it's been a really yeah, really good conversation me. really really enjoyed it um i think i think like I say for anybody listening that has had that they're flirting with the idea um, they might have something that's kind of almost tangible in the mind but they're just not pulling the trigger on it because of maybe uncertain uh, economy or they you know yeah, like, oh, wait yeah. until wait until covid blows over um or any yeah. that kind of thing i like the fact that you're driving the message of just start make yeah, a start. start start somewhere yeah totally to to totally agree and it's really really nice to hear so but look i think best place to wrap up is, is there jack i just want to say thank you again um for giving us the time so for now uh, this has been The 23, and I'm Chris Kirkby, and I'll see you soon.